Hey, Hickory Grove, how are you guys doing? I'm glad you guys have hung with us and you're doing this series with us. Thank you so much for being a part of it. I uh, hope you guys have had some really good discussion. And we're going to wrap up this week with talking about strategy, which I know doesn't sound very spiritual. Uh, it may sound really corporate or it sounds too business-like, but the reality is that throughout the Bible, we learn about strategy. Two quick examples I'll give you. One would be Paul. If you got a paper Bible, maybe a leather-bound Bible, and you open up to the back, you should have maps in there. So if you ever heard someone say, I've read the Bible cover to cover, even the maps. The maps are often representing the times their the geopolitical borders were different back then. But some of the maps that your Bible may have is Paul's missionary journeys. And so one of the places that he invests into heavily is Rome. This was a strategic move. By going to not only a major city, but the major city, the center of the world at the time, sharing the gospel with Romans and doing ministry there, he knew that if he could win people and establish a church there, that is all the folks that had to come to Rome, whether it be to pay their taxes or to do business, or even just come and sightsee, as people are coming into the hub of the big city, they're engaging with the Roman culture, they'll then leave. And so you've got tradesmen and salesmen, and you've got folks that are gonna come out from there, they're gonna go into the smaller towns, and if you have believers in those industries, and then they're going to all the smaller areas, it's a brilliant strategy for spreading the gospel. There's a reason Paul didn't go to a small city that we haven't heard of. He went there specifically because he was targeting a city which would help advance the kingdom. So we see strategy in the Bible. Uh, Jesus even speaks of it. When talking about salvation, he compares it to considering how you would build a tower. And in that, his wise words are, count the cost. He said, you know, don't, don't start to build a tower, don't start a project, and then fail halfway through, count the cost, commit to it, and do it. And so you have this sense with Jesus who says, you know, count the cost, do some planning ahead. So when we say strategy, it, it really is biblical. And so one of the strategies that we use here is we say it in four words. If you're, if you're not familiar with this, it's gather, grow, give, and go. And so what we mean by that is gather and worship, uh, grow in a life group, uh, give of your time, talent, and treasure, and go for local and global missions. Now there's there's a lot of different scriptures that support those. You'll, we provided you with a few this week for your study. But this is uh, not our strategy, it's, it's the biblical strategy that we're taking and we've just adopted as our church, that we wanna be a church that does those four things. And they're gonna look different, um, especially when you get to um, go, what God calls you to. Some of you are gonna be called to overseas missions. Uh, some of you are gonna be called to invest here, hyper-locally. Uh, so there's a really neat mix of all that kind of stuff. But just to share a few things with you about discipleship, because this is the week where we're really honing in on um, what is a disciple and uh, what are the most important things. And I want to say this really carefully because I don't want you to misunderstand anything I'm saying. But being a disciple is not a call to being a scholar. Here's what I mean by that. You can know a lot about the Lord. You could memorize chunks of the Bible. Uh, you can get degrees in this stuff. But if it is never applied to your life, and it never manifests outside of just having a head knowledge of God, that's an issue. At the end of the day, Jesus called us to make disciples. Certainly, disciples knew quite a bit about God's Word. Uh, especially the young men that are Jewish uh, in the first century here, they're going to know a lot about Judaism. They're going to have memorized the Torah at this point. They're going to be familiar with the Old Testament. Um, Jesus is... is is speaking truth and life into them. So uh, it's not to say that scholarship isn't important, 
uh, I think you should know your Bible well. I hope you know where the Gospels are. I hope hope you know where Romans is and where Acts is. And I, you know, I hope you can go. If I ask you to turn to Exodus, I hope you know where that's at. Uh, those are all good things. But what we want to be really careful is making a disciple. Um, there is no qualification for how much Bible knowledge that person has. So what is a disciple? It's someone who follows Jesus. So some of us may know a lot more than others, but that other person could be a better disciple. And so it's a real slippery slope. What I don't want people to walk away hearing is that reading the Bible is not important. Of course it's important. It is the foundation. I don't want you to get stuck there. I don't want you to stop there. I want you to go beyond understanding what God's Word says, and we want to see you apply it in your life. I think about how Jesus made disciples. You know, one of the first things my brain goes to is the wedding feast. Uh, it seems like it's an odd story. You're, you know, you're asked to turn water into wine. Uh, he even objects to his mom. He's like, look, I don't really want to do this. My time has not yet come. Uh, she insists, and then he ends up doing it anyways. And, but you know, the disciples were the ones that really saw the miracle. They were there. The servants were there. And they saw him, in a sense, submit to his earthly mother because she wanted to do this. So he's, he's teaching about order there. Um, he does do the miracle, and there is a teaching moment for the people behind the curtain. But at the end of the day, he's, he's serving a wedding. Um, so in this case, it had nothing to do with studying the Bible. Uh, it was very practical. It was, it was Jesus showing service to the guys. Uh, there's plenty of times where Jesus is teaching the disciples. There's other times where he's just being a good example to them. They eat together. They travel together. Um, they actually go to parties together. Very interesting. We don't think of having a secular party and you don't think, let's invite all the pastors. That would be fun. Uh, but in his day, Jesus got invited to a lot of parties. He's seen just hanging out with folks like tax collectors. So this idea of being a disciple is so much bigger than sitting in a, in a classroom or sitting in a small group. Uh, though those should be foundations of that, Jesus certainly poured into them and taught them about himself and his nature. It carried out so much farther than that. And so my heart for you and, and, and Bill and our staff's heart is that what we're doing here in this living room or in this classroom, wherever you guys are meeting right now, that it doesn't stop there. I would argue that it's not real discipleship if it stays inside of these four walls. It's got to go outside of that. And, and while I believe is important, uh, I've heard this example years ago. I love this. I think of a train. And so you're, the belief is the engine that drives everything down the track. But your actions are the passenger cars, and they should follow in that. If you're studying about service and you don't serve anyone, how relevant are your beliefs? How much does it really matter that, how much you know about serving people and being called to minister to others if you never do it. Now, how relevant is your belief system if you know about evangelism, you could quote the scriptures, you could walk someone through salvation, but you never, never share your faith. And so to me, they should not be exclusive. They should be paired together, linked up like a train, that the belief should drive the action. And that's really what we're getting here is that we wanna see what God is doing in your life come about in a very practical way and God actually use you. Now, last thing I'll share with you this week, and then I'll wrap up so you guys can get to the rest of your study, is we want to be very strategic in how we make disciples. Uh, we take this call very seriously. And knowing that we're not called to make scholars, uh, we're not called to make evangelists, uh, you know, we're not called to make missionaries, we're, we're not called to produce teachers. Uh, those are all aspects of being a disciple. We're called to make disciples. And so, of, of all the things we do, it's of the utmost importance. And so we want to be very specific and strategic in how we do that. 
One of the things we started doing two years ago is connection events. So the challenge with our church specifically is we don't have giant spaces for doing on-campus groups. Um, some of our largest groups are, are somewhere around 50 people and it is, it's a challenge even to house them in one area, even a, among our largest spaces. Most of the groups at Hickory Grove range anywhere between 8 and 20 people and sometimes even those are challenging. One of the best outlets we've had for multiplying is starting home groups. The difficult part about home groups is feeling like an outsider and having to go to a brand new group, maybe one that already exists, and be the new couple or the new guy or the new girl in that group, uh, it can be very difficult. So where we find the most success is starting and launching a group all at one time. These connection events are perfect for that because everyone comes at the same time and you form a new group. The problem is, if we're never forming new groups, if what we're doing is never forced into action, there's a tendency where we can get really stagnant and we just kind of keep doing things together and we don't interact with new people, uh, we're not really forced to do anything new. Um, and until you're at a church where there's hundreds and hundreds of people always looking for a new group, it can become difficult to connect new people into all of our existing groups. Now, we want to respect the fact that when you guys get together and there's three or four or five couples and you're, you're doing life together and you guys are going to form a bond that's pretty special and you're going to share things that you wouldn't share with other folks and uh, those are the things that we want to see come out of small group. It can be awkward to introduce a new person into that. And so we don't want to mess with that culture, but at the same time, we've got to create a culture where people are able to come and be a part and experience the things that you love about small groups. So here's what we're going to try and do from here on out. There's two, two pieces to this puzzle. Uh, we've got to generate more leaders. We've got to produce more leaders. Someone in your room right now who's not leading this group eventually needs to become a leader of a group. Everything, I believe this wholeheartedly. Everything rises and falls on leadership. We've got to continually have people that step up and say that they're going to go lead a group and take that charge. So what I'm going to do is, starting this summer, I'm going to offer a class, and it's just for training group leaders up. I'll teach it at the church here. You don't have to meet in my home or anything like that. You can come to the church, and uh, we'll teach it if there's two people in it, and we'll teach it if there's 40 people in it. But I've actually got some curriculum I'm going to walk you through, and we're going to train you how to become leaders. So that's going to be really important, and that's going to be the benchmark, that if you're going to lead in the future, uh, you're going to go through training so that you're not there alone. You're not just trying to figure this out. Uh, the second key to all this is we want to force a connection event to happen every fall. And what I'm asking you to do is essentially every group dissolve right before the fall semester so that you have a year of that time where you're building relationships, um, you're coming together, you're leaning on one another, um, you're sharing your heart with folks because you're building relationships with them. And then after the year's over, I want everyone to come to the connection event again. And there's two reasons I want to do this. To launch new groups, it really almost gives you permission to do that. It sometimes can feel awkward if there's four or five couples. If one of you is feeling called to start a group, um, you may feel that tension like, am I tearing this group apart? Am I causing a rift or a split in this group? Well, I'm going to take the pressure off you and by doing this in the fall, every fall, we create an opportunity where this is just what happens. It's, it's natural. The, maybe a different way to say it is the expectation is that you would be starting a group expecting to multiply and, and, and launch more groups out of it. At the end of the day, it's very comfortable. We can stay in our groups forever. We're called to make disciples. We're called to multiply. It's, it's the whole purpose of the church. And so that's one of the reasons we'll do it is it gives you an opportunity to do that. Now, 
What it also can do is if you love your group and you love your teacher and you, you're not feeling called to start a group, you can still join the same exact group that you're in now. No one is going to lock the doors and keep you from being in the group that you know and love. But I do want you to come to the event because it does another thing. When we have a large assembly of all of our people together, it, there's a lot of movement that gets created. And this may sound superficial, but um, you may be so comfortable with these people and so comfortable with our church, you don't even think of it this way, but this is very intimidating for someone to do for the first time. And so what we wanna do is by creating a larger event and having more people attend, the 20 or 30 folks that may be unconnected, there is safety in numbers. And so by having two or 300 people come to an event, the 20 or 30 that need to get connected with you in one of your groups are now able to do so and they don't feel like they have the spotlight on them as much. So we're, we're trying to create an atmosphere where it's easy to get connected. We're trying to create an atmosphere where it's easy to launch new groups. There's nothing stopping you from joining the same group. Worst case scenario, even if you're planning on joining the same group, come eat a meal on the church, enjoy a night without your kids, we'll watch them with childcare, and uh, be a part of something. We're gonna, we're gonna start this new tradition. Uh, I believe it's gonna be taking us in a step of making disciples, and I'm excited to see how God uses all of you. I hope that you've been praying about what your next step is. Uh, some of you that maybe have felt the pull to become a group leader, consider signing up this summer and, and walk with me for a few weeks and let us train you up in being a disciple maker. Thank you guys again for spending the time doing this. Uh, have a fantastic group today.